0: Does anyone have a job with uh, programming in place to protect against burnout? Does anybody have anything? Okay, there's like one hand over there, two hands. There's like a kind of hand. Isn't that encouraging? Uh, increasingly, this is a thing I will mention. Uh, so in my world, um, pastors and church leaders, paid and volunteer, uh, they definitely prone to burnout. Perhaps many of you will know that from personal experience. Uh, In our early years, our church was part of a network of churches that would host an annual retreat in a beautiful place to try to help church leaders, paid and volunteer, who were burning out. And you'd enjoy a serene setting. Uh, There'd be older, more experienced church leaders to listen to and pray for you. There'd be workshops around like you know, resourcing people with things like um, financial management or keeping a regular Sabbath, things like that, that w- that can help protect against further burnout. And I mean, it's really great. They did this every year, but as the years went on, as I it you know, was a part of this network, I noticed a familiar pattern among many of the volunteers and paid pastoral people who took advantage of this offering. The the routine would go like this. As the retreat weekend would approach, every year it was in November, there'd be like this feeling of anticipation for it, right? It'd be like, oh yeah, like we're we're so excited for it. Um, People would attend it. They would come back with glowing reports of how it had changed their lives and how amazing it was. But then by about March, they'd seem to be just as burnt out as ever only to restart the cycle as we got closer to November. And it would seem to happen every year. And I always tried to understand this. Like, was was it that those people lacked resilience to stick to what they'd gained from the retreat? That's kind of a judgmental conclusion, right? Was it that the program was really good at marketing and vibes, but in, in the end it wasn't that effective? Well, that's also kind of a judgmental conclusion. Since this time, I've become compelled by a different conclusion entirely. Those church leaders reporting amazing experiences were telling the truth. They had amazing experiences. The program was great. It was doing wonderful things. But the problem is that burnout is not a problem with individuals. It's a problem at the societal level. And so the most perfect individualized program in the world could never address that burnout cycle I kept seeing in these pastors and church leaders because nearly everything about the rest of their lives in the modern world inflames burnout. You know, one week out of 52 weeks trying to address burnout, I just, like is it any surprise that it wouldn't have much staying power? You know, it's interesting, and it, even the rest of the ways that the, this church network kind of spoke to its pastors and church leaders outside of that retreat that was focused on burnout or that was focused on overcoming burnout, all of the rest of the experiences the conferences offered were things like innovate your work, you know, master your personal life, right? Lead on the cutting edge, harness your best resources, learn the newest ideas, innovate, master, cutting edge, more resources, more ideas. Is it any wonder that the one week out of 52 that's focused on addressing burnout doesn't have a staying power? So there is, I mean, this is my experience. I, I'm, I'm in church leader and pastor and, you know, uh, those, those are my circles. But does that feel familiar in your circles? They feel like it's kind of a similar kind of sound, yeah? Maybe there isn't even that one week out of 52 weeks, yeah? Sounds like it as I looked around. There's a French sociologist, a guy named Elaine Ehrenberg, who relates what I'm talking to to depression. Ehrenberg wrote a history of depression in the modern world, which is the last 500 years, and suggested that depression is an ailment of speed an interesting phrase, isn't it? Depression is an ailment of speed. It's the feeling of not being able to keep up, of not having it in you to keep up. That's the way he defined depression. Burnout, we might say, is a kind of depressive state. And here's what particularly grabs me about Ehrenberg. He argued that these mental ailments like depression or burnout are not oddities to modern life. They reveal something central to modern life. To put it another way, burnout is a core feature of our society. It's not a fringe byproduct. If you're ever feeling burnt out, you're not the fringe person who's doing it wrong and you just need, you know, books or therapy or a retreat and then you'll be back to your senses like the rest of the population. If you're feeling burnt out, you're doing it right because that's part of the design of the modern world. Yikes. Right? Ooh. This is the shadow side of the wonderful things about the modern world we live in today. There is like an immense personal freedom in the modern world. We can define for ourselves who we are and access and learn about anything to fill out that sense of self, of who we are. We can buy anything to express it to the world. But there is also a weariness that comes with that freedom. Because it's up to me to maintain myself and keep it current. It's up to you to maintain yourself and keep yourself current. There is no religious tradition or national identity that maintains the self for me, which is part of the freedom piece, right, for many of us. We don't want those things to tell us who we are. We're suspect of institutional religion for good reason. We don't feel patriotic for good reason. Maybe institutions like those have been violent to us if we're not white or if we're LGBTQ. So this is progress, but the trade-off for the progress is that we are kept in constant motion to define ourselves by ourselves. Sometimes we just don't have it in us can't keep up. The original French title of Ehrenberg's History of Depression, you can see it up here, translated into English is The Fatigue of Being Yourself. The Fatigue of Being Yourself. So we are not just talking about work burnout. We're talking about every facet of being alive in our age and our culture when we talk about burnout. Our kids, our nieces, our nephews, especially teenagers, feel the fatigue of being themselves just like we do. The fatigue of being ourselves. So we have a love-hate relationship with this, okay? It's hard, yeah? We experience the weariness and the freedom simultaneously. We can, you know, we can see this in what everybody reflexively says when someone asks, how's it going, Okay? How's it going, Vince? What, what is, like, just the, the reflexive response in me? Busy. I say good. I do say good. But I say busy. Busy but good. Did everybody say busy? Yeah? Busy. I'm busy. Yeah. How's it going? Busy. Does everybody say that, right? Everybody says that. When we say that, we do mean we're tired. Like, it is an admission. It's like, oh, yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm feeling the weariness. We're, we're, we're being honest. But... We also kind of mean things are happening. You know what I mean? I'm busy. So, this is the love hate relationship with this. Like in the modern world, busyness is our conception of a good, full life. A busy calendar with lots of meetings that make us feel important. Meetings, can I give it up for meetings again? Woo, yeah. <laughs> Lots of meetings, right? Lots of social engagements or vacations that make us feel like we're taking care of ourselves, right? Utilizing all of the latest hacks and products that maximize our time. Busyness equals fullness. We equate it with being, we equate it with being moral, even. We would be bad people if we weren't busy. On par with injustice and cruelty and prejudice, if we won the lottery, we would we dream of doing nothing, right? As a reprieve from the busyness. Oh gosh, I would just I, you know I would do nothing, but only for a little while, right? We'd have to do something again then, because otherwise we'd be bad people. We'd feel so guilty if we were doing nothing. What exactly do we need to be busy doing? Well, that's another part of the self that's up to us to maintain. The concept of busyness is fullness. It doesn't actually say much about the substance of our lives. It just says, keep going, stay busy, keep up. And whether it is Wall Street or the streets of the west side of Chicago, whether it is Silicon Valley tech companies or Heartland American megachurches, Hollywood and NBA superstars or social media influencers, everybody is constantly telling us, stay busy, keep up, or else. Yeah. So, the story of busyness becoming a moral virtue is an important story. And it's the story of something happening to time over the last 500 years. And this is what we're going to focus on for the next several months here at Brownline Church, this 500-year story. We're going to talk about it with help from several big thinkers who I want to cite as my sources now. I'll have Ed drop some links in Discord if you want to read more, if you're that kind of person. Uh, because one of, uh, none of these thoughts I should mention in this, anything that I've just presented right now, none of the things that I'm going to present over this, uh, the next couple months are my own thoughts. They are other people who are smarter than me. Um, the, uh, couple of scholars, uh, that we're going to look at are, uh, two names are Charles Taylor and Hartmut Rosa. Again, if you want to learn more about these scholars, they live at the intersection of philosophy and sociology. There'll be links in discord. And then we're going to learn from a guy named Andrew Root, who is a theologian closer to my age, who's done a ton of work to bring those very heady ideas from, uh, Taylor and Rosa the big intellectuals, has done a lot of work to bring uh, them to congregations like us. This 500-year story that they are teaching us in brief is up here on the screen. It's time is speeding up. That's what's happening to time. Now, not like the earth is moving faster around the sun, right? Like, that's not happening. But it's like our subjective experience of time has been in a constant state of acceleration, for these five centuries, and especially in the last 60 years. Time feels faster and faster, and so our experience of the present is getting shorter and shorter because time is moving so fast. It's here for a moment, but then it's gone. Oh, here comes the new, oh, um, I'm present, and then it's gone, right? Time is moving so quickly, the present hardly registers before it's the past. Spiritual teachers and therapists alike will tell us we need to live in the in the present, we need to live in the present and practice mindfulness, right? They all tell us the same thing. But how do we do that when the present feels like it's decaying and becoming the fast so quickly, right? That's, that's super hard. Even though technological innovation has kept supposedly winning us more time, right? Making transportation is faster and communication is faster and production is faster. We should have more time. But we don't feel like that. Right? We, feel like, we feel like time seems to fill up all the more. We feel like we're trying to squeeze more things into less time. Scholars on European colonization, which drove much of this 500-year story, point to the spreading of whiteness, of white supremacy culture, which has a defining quality. And that defining quality of whiteness is urgency. Oh boy, do you feel urgent? When white culture dominates how you think, everything feels urgent. Hartmut Rosa says we feel time sick. And I like that phrase. Time sick. We're alienated from the present, from this time sickness. And therefore, we're alienated from ourselves because we can't get present with ourselves. Our minds are over here. And then quickly it moves and our minds are back here. We can't even stay right in front of us. We're alienated from ourselves. We're alienated from other people. We're alienated from our world, and we are alienated from God. So what does Brown Line Church have to say to all of this? I'm making this our theme, right? I've kind of developed a stuff, right? This is kind of all around us. Maybe we haven't even been thinking about just how much it's all around us, and now we are because Vince made me think about it. So, I cannot with integrity make my message an oversimplified, here are the five steps to just slowing down and avoiding burnout. I can't do that for us. Because, well, first off, slowing down is going to be a part of what we talk about, but just slow down isn't enough of a message for our reality. First off, I think that falls into the trap of thinking that burnout is just a problem with you, the fringe individual, and you just need to learn how to slow down. You need, you need more faith, as it might be said in religious settings. Or, you know, you, you need more resources, as it is said in the larger modern world. You need more therapy. You need more anything. And then, you'll, just, and then you'll, be, you'll be fine. I don't think it's an individual problem, as I said. So just slow down. It's not great because of that. It's also not great because I think there's no opting out of our culture. Like, we will be talking about some intentional ways to slow down, but, like, that's only possible to a degree unless you're going the Amish route of, like, complete separatism, right? And especially when it comes to workplace burnout, a lot of us are in jobs where we don't feel like we have the option to just slow down, right? And so I do not want to condescend that reality and make this sound easy. So this is not the five easy steps to just slowing down and avoiding burnout. That's not what we're doing here over the next couple months. This series is also not prove that you're not victim to this like all those other sheeple. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks to be burnt out, doesn't it? No, we're not going to do that. It will feel tempting, though. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm laying it on thick. But it's going to feel tempting, actually, for us, for a lot of us, I think, to distance ourselves from this To act as though, well, yeah, maybe that's true for some people, but not as much for me. We're not going to pretend the solution is easy here. We're not going to pretend that we're not affected. I'm not up here because I've mastered this. I'm up here because it's my job as a minister to try to lead conversations about the things that affect us all. And this, like, I am just as much burnt out as the rest of you. (laughs) Or just as much affected by that, I should say. So what are we doing as we address societal burnout? We're asking, how can we in community encourage alternative visions of fullness that are not busyness? How can we in community encourage alternative visions of fullness of life that aren't busy, 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 busy? How can Jesus help us with that? We're going to be asking that question. And we're going to be asking, how can we in community keep an alternative sacred time to run parallel to the speed of modern life? Sacred time. This is a term from this theologian, Andrew Root. Sacred time can't be so easily sped up because it's filled up and it's weighed down by design with intentional practices with purpose, with ritual, with our humanity, our stories, our delights, our sorrows, our vulnerabilities. With all of that substance weighing and grounding sacred time, we actually have to live in it, present and aware. And when we do, we realize that we're not alone. God is with us in sacred time, the God that Jesus shows us, who is not up in the sky, separate from us in some timeless throne room, but who is our fellow experiencer, sharing in our joys and in solidarity with us in our sufferings. Sacred time is what we're going to be talking about all fall. It is time that counteracts burnout by opening us to the divine we aren't always open to the divine. Even in churches, we aren't always open to the divine because the default of modern life is so flat and secular. From time to time, though, we feel the call that there is more when we're singing songs together, or when there's a lyric that like buries itself into us, like, God, oh, God, you want to kind of want to cry. You kind of feel some heat in your chest or something. Maybe life is not just flat and empty and the things that I can see and touch and observe and measure and calculate. Maybe there is more. Maybe an inexhaustible love is at the center of all things. Sacred time helps us into that openness when we can feel the presence of the living God saying to us as Jesus did, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I say often here, the God Jesus shows humanity is not a burden adder as so many of us may have been taught because that's what comes so naturally in the modern world. Jesus as God is a burden reliever, not a burden adder. So we have this sort of, I wonder if you're catching kind of the imagery I'm working with here. We have a sort of paradoxical inverse relationship, and it looks like this. In the burdened, heavy yoke of modern life, time has to be hollowed out of all of its substance in the name of keeping it fast, keeping it light, right? Right? We gotta keep things cheap and dispensable and optional because time is money, right? We can't get too sentimental. We can't get too attached. Things are moving. We gotta keep up. Time is lightened to be fast. On the other hand, in sacred time, our experience of time is that it is sturdy and weighed down to the ground, not always getting away from us, not always you know, burning us out, because God is not burdening us with the fatigue of being ourselves. There is no heavy burden to define for yourself, by yourself, who you are for the whole world. Jesus said, give up your life and find it. It is those who try to find it who will lose it. It's kind of paradoxical, right? Modern life's heavy burden but light time can leave us feeling inhuman, alone, like there's no time to integrate what happens to us into a coherent story because it's happening so fast. And so our commitments and our values erode, which of course is one of the biggest symptoms of burnout we're all so familiar with. Commitments and values eroding. We realize we never really directly decided whether or not to be in that relationship. It just sort of happened. We can't quite remember when we stopped regularly seeing that friend or that group or that community. It just sort of happened. Commitments sound amazing when we talk about them or when they're further out on our calendar. But gradually, as that calendar event gets closer and closer, we find that we feel we just don't have it in us to show up. We had so much passion for anti-racism after George Floyd's murder, but it just sort of eroded away, right? Commitments and values erode. This is societal burnout in action, not because we are bad people. Can we receive that? This is societal burnout in action. It is not because we are bad people that our commitments and our values are eroding. It is because time is so light and thin, and our burdens are heavy, punishing waves, tearing away at that rock. We don't have a chance. But sacred time, the light burden but heavy time, it cultivates the opposite. It's a release of the pressure in the presence of the Spirit of God who is just saying to us, You are loved. You have an identity as a child of God. You do not have to prove yourself constantly. You do not have to maintain yourself constantly. That is not your burden to carry. We don't have to single-handedly achieve the good life for ourselves, by ourselves. And without so much pressure, if that can truly feel lifted off of us, we find that our commitments and our values do stay firm. They keep their shape. They're not so easily eroded because we have time to integrate them, all the things that happen to us, into a coherent story of who we are, our ups and our downs, our sorrows and our joys, our hopes and our dreams, and it is being listened to the entire way by a God of love who supports us. Oh, does that feel like water on dry land to me? Mostly by stumbling into it, I think that I have now been a part of one community or another keeping sacred time, keeping it for me for, I think it's now been over 20 years that I've been a part of some community keeping sacred time for me. It's been a mix of things at times, it's been one thing, and then it was another thing, and then it was a couple things. 20 years now. And that, I believe, is the reason that I can say, even even as I feel the pressures of burnout, just like everybody, In a general sense, I don't feel burnt out. I don't. My life feels like a coherent story of commitments and values that don't just erode all the time. They're firm. It feels like I'm being listened to and supported by God. That didn't instantaneously happen to me 20 years ago when I first started being a part of a community that keeps sacred time for me. And it waxes and it wanes, of course. But overall... To be able to say, I I don't think I'm burnt out right now. I'm not sure how many people can say that. And that's why this feels so important to me. I want more of us to be able to say that. What a gift sacred time has given to me. Sacred time is something that people keep together in a community. Okay? It's not something you or I can do on our own. It's not something I've done for myself all over these 20 years. This is different from the majority of individualistic self-help approaches to burnout, which convince us again, convince us again that I individually am bad at this. That's why you know, my commitments and values are eroding. And then develops for me a plan that it's on me to self-actualize. We're not taking that approach. To be sure... Those plans work a lot of the time. So I don't want to call them worthless. I think if you've received some sort of plan in like a therapy setting or in a spiritual direction setting or in a church setting, chances are it's good. So I'm not saying that individualistic things don't work. But what I am saying is I'm convinced that if this is a societal problem, leaving everything up to everybody making individualistic heroic efforts isn't going to solve our problem, okay? We can't rely on that. We have to do something together. So, what I'm asking of us during this fall is not individual heroic effort. It is participation in some communal experiments in a different timekeeping, in sacred timekeeping. It will involve your effort, but it is not dependent on your effort alone. That's the key thing. So, several of our Sundays this fall, uh, we're looking out over the next two and a half months here, several of our Sundays are not going to be messages. It's not gonna be me up here talking or Haley up here talking or somebody else. They're going to be practicums, I'm calling them, in keeping sacred time. In some ways, we do this already. We do it in music and worship every Sunday. Music and worship, congregational singing, is heavy time, right? It can't be lightened and sped up endlessly, or it'll sound terrible, right? We were joking earlier that I kept on playing one of the songs too fast, and Kezi was like, I can't keep up with this, this is too fast, right? Music keeps us in time as we're snapping together. That's sacred time. We're doing something together, right? If we miss a beat, if we stop singing for a moment, nothing's ruined because we're doing it together. It's a, it's a communal, sacred time. We're going to do things like that, but it's not just going to be music. We're going to do more things like that. Light burden, but heavy time. That's what we're going to be doing experiments in. Light burden, but heavy time. And even though these will not be self-help workshops directly addressing our personal burnout, I believe these will address our burnout. Okay? They're not going to be direct. It's not going to be self-help workshops. But I believe these are going to address our societal burnout. If we are open to it, it will happen in... Not a mechanistic way, you put in this and you get out this, but in a spiritual, unseen way, where God meets us in that sacred time, and we find our reality is just somehow different. I think some of these things are going to feel uh, a little bit alien, because uh, they're not like the rest of accelerated modern life. They're heavy on purpose so they won't be able to go fast. We should notice that. We should absolutely be mindful of how uncomfortable it is, how we feel drawn to check our phones constantly, or maybe antsy like we're falling behind on our to-do list. And we should not let that discomfort rule us. Instead, my thought is this is gonna be exposure therapy that can heal us of our time sickness, okay? I'm gonna tell you some of these practicums in a minute. as I kind of, you know, do our normal housekeeping uh, for every Sunday. But before I give us a picture of some of these practicums, I want to pray for us in this space as we've begun our conversation as a church about burnout. If you would take a deep breath with me, and we're going to pray. We're going to have some light burden but heavy time here. One more deep breath in. All right. God, <clears throat> as each of us enter the personal story that's going on with us into this conversation about societal burnout, we want the light burden of it not being all on us, but we want to feel acknowledged for how personal our struggle is. So God, come to us now as we read in Jesus' words, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And we take a beat now to hear you say that to us, each of us in our own minds, and to experience whatever it is possible for us to experience right now of that rest. You are saying to us, come to me, and I will give you rest. We breathe into that light burden, that rest. God, speak to us in a way where we feel loved for who we uniquely are this self, that it is such a gift and a freedom for us to be able to fill out for ourselves. I pray especially for those of us right now who are marginalized in our larger society for their race, for their sexual orientation, for their gender. If you are marginalized, the God of love sees you and is responsible for that freedom that you feel to build out who you are in spite of the institutions that have told you you are lesser. We, we receive that love. And, if, and for those of us who are you know, sort of majority dominant people, I've never experienced oppression a day in my life except for being left-handed. For those of us, we pray that into our, our friends who are marginalized right now. We pray that freedom of the, of the age that we live in. That freedom is you. You have brought that, God. It is progress. We don't want to go back to a time when everybody was just told, be this, it's your duty. But with the same hands, we also hold to the weariness. We're so grateful for that freedom, but we're so weary and tired and burnt out demonstrating who we are proving who we are, comparing ourselves to others who seem to be doing it better than we are. We're so burnt out and tired, and we're just exhausted. And you say, come to me, and I will give you rest. And as a final way into this prayer, again, we're going to try the sacred time thing, which is we're going to synchronize our breathing. So we often do breathing prayers here, but we're kind of doing it individually. We're going to do it as a community here. I want you to breathe in with me for four seconds, hold it for three seconds, and then breathe out for four seconds. We're going to do it together. This is an experiment in sacred time. If you do it for three seconds, four seconds, three seconds, guess what? You're totally fine, because it's not dependent on you. This is sacred time. We do it for each other, all right? Let's breathe in. One, two, three, four, hold. One, two, three, and out. One, two, three, four, in, hold. Everybody hear the exhale in the room? Yeah? For those online, like you could, there's an audible exhale in the room as we do that together. This is an example of sacred time. We're going to be experimenting with all fall. And my hope is that as we get to the Christmas season, which maybe, you know, talk about time speeding up, there is no season quite like December where time speeds up in America I wonder if we feel less burnt out. In Jesus' name, amen.